I never said the coast was clear. In fact, I can tell you right now, it does feel dangerous. Uh, the song that Paramore put out um, was put out about what's going on in our culture right now. People don't just feel entitled to have an opinion. They feel that you better line up and agree with theirs or else. And we've all figured it out. And we've decided that sometimes it's safer just to stay inside away from people. And it's becoming a thing we do. And it's leading to record levels of loneliness. So bad that, in fact, the Surgeon General um, has started saying all kinds of stuff about this. I I'll put up a little quote that he has. Uh, but he was recently quoted saying that loneliness right now in the U.S. is the number one killer. He says, if you have chronic bouts of loneliness in your life, it has the ability to knock off 15 years of life expectancy off of your life. 15 years. That's unbelievable. And yet, a lot of us have concluded that staying in our houses is a good idea. Not everybody, like some of us have had this sense that we needed to be in relationship. So we put ourselves out there, we try, we feel rejected, feel like we're not being accepted for who we are or judged. And in both cases, though giving effort, leaving or staying, people wind up feeling alone. And then for whatever reason, the experience they had or that sense of fear that they're going to be judged or have the wrong opinion, they come to the conclusion that it would be better for them if they just stayed away from people. When the truth is, that is far, far worse than you've realized. My name is Blair. Last week we started a series about this. Um, we're talking about like one of the components that's making this loneliness thing uh, kind of bad, and we're talking about friendships. And we called the series a friendship maze, and we're doing that because of this very thing that, like, that I was just talking about. For some people, they're, they're cutting themselves off from relationships because they think it's the safest thing to do. And others have hung themselves out there and they both wind up in the same place. They both wind up feeling that I'm still alone and that's why we're calling it a maze. It's, it's becoming hard to navigate. Now the reason I think it's becoming hard to navigate is one, we don't realize that there is a process to friendships. It's been around for thousands of years. It's, it's produced friendships over and over and over again. And that process has been intact for a long, long time. But I would tell you, based on what I'm seeing with people reporting, 60% of adults are saying they're dealing with chronic loneliness right now. 78% of 15 to 24-year-olds saying chronic loneliness is what they're suffering from right now. I would tell you, when you look at those kind of numbers, that our modern world 
has fractured this process that we've known about forever. It's not working. And um, I'd, I'd hoped in sharing with this that we could uh, maybe have an assessment, figure out if some stuff is going on. I, I honestly didn't know if there would be a lot of that going on here, but I got a lot of feedback from last week. And I got questions like, are you going to talk about this? Are you going to talk about this? Are you going to talk about this? And half of the things they asked me about I was planning on addressing. The other half, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to talk about it right now because I want this to get really practical. When God said, it's not good for a man to be alone, he was talking about you and me. You were not made for that. And yet for some reason, in our community right now, in this room, there are people who are dealing with a level of loneliness that they don't know how to overcome. It's here. It's, it's not some future thing. So I'm hoping um, that we can address this and that over time you can make some small adjustments. If you can make some adjustments that would honor God in your life, I think what could happen is you adjust your course toward Christ, you could actually adjust your course towards each other as well. And that's what I'm hoping here. Uh, back in the early 2000s, I was working at a different church. I was responsible for over 100 small groups in that church, and, um, and I read a book uh, that Joseph Myers wrote. Uh, it was The Search to Belong. Joseph Myers, uh, this was not original material to him. He actually went and looked at a guy who was taking some uh, research from the 60s about how we find relationships. And I was, man, I was needing all the help I could get. There was a hundred groups, and not all of them were going well, as you can imagine. And I was getting calls about, hey, can you come and help us out? And I had no clue. Like, I, I got a call. In the middle of a small group meeting, somebody stood up and said, I'm not going to stay in this group if this person keeps leading the group. So you guys decide. It's them or me, and they stormed out of the meeting, and I was invited to come and fix that, right? Only to be made worse when I found out it was the leader's husband who did that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what am I supposed to do there? Like, this is, this is messed up. And I was having all of those kind of things. This wasn't isolated. All this kind of stuff was going on, and I felt unqualified, to figure out what was going on. And then I read this book about all of this research that they had done on friendships and this search for belonging that everybody goes on because God has put it at the core of who you are. When he said it's not good for you to be alone, he also wired in you a desire for something bigger, for more. And so we have this longing to do something. And, and what, when I finally read that book, I finally saw for the first time, um, I, I read a resource that I was like, this makes complete sense to me. Like I could see how this was unfolding in the groups. I watched it unfolding in my staff. I, everywhere I looked, I saw this working because I think he was putting his finger on something that had been around for a really long time thousands of years. Now, 
um, I'm, I'm convinced that what he put his finger on and what this guy in the 60s who did all this research, I'm convinced that it still works this way. But since that book was written until now, there's been a major change, a major change in the way we do life and the way we operate, and it's having an impact. What's the major change? It happened in 2007. Anybody want to hazard a guess? That's when the smartphone became really smart. That's when the iPhone came out. Uh, I, I looked up when, the I, or like when smartphones started, and they were like 1992, and I was like, you liars. <laughs> like, no, you could text, but that phone was as dumb as I was, and it did not know what was going on. But I'm telling you right now, this, this device that you now walk around in your hand has changed everything. I want you to uh, get a context of this because they've done research on this, and I want you to come up with a number in your head that's, that's personal to you. How much communication do you do right now, today, on average per week, in digital communication with somebody? It's digital. It's not face-to-face. Digital communication. How much of your time is spent with digital communication? Got a number? Here's the average in the U.S. right now, 23 hours a week. People are experiencing digital communication. That used to be face-to-face conversations. That used to be these things that we would interact with and, and talk about. And I told you that I grew up in the 80s, and it felt like the 80s was a different world from right now. And I'll tell you, this is one of the reasons why the communication has changed completely. If you're 15 years younger than me, you'll think I'm making this up. I'm not. This is real. The first phone that we had in our house was a party line. Do you know what that means? (laughs) Some of you do. It means when you went to use the phone, you could pick it up and your neighbor might be on the line talking. And you would have to hang up and wait for them to finish their conversation before you could use the phone in your house. And we did on a very regular basis. We would wait for an hour to make the call. Can you imagine waiting for an hour when you want to make a call right now? When Tracy and I were dating, it was long distance. I was in Indiana. She was in Pennsylvania. We talked on the phone once every two weeks for less than an hour because it was expensive, right? We wrote each other eight to 10 page letters on a regular basis, which I think, I think it fooled her a little bit because I think she thought when she got married, she was gonna marry a guy who talked a lot because I wrote a lot. That did not work out for her. She got ripped off, right? But that's different, that's different. Like in person, I'm like a log. Away from her, I'm like very righty. Okay, Um, it's different. Usually when you use the phone, when I was growing up, you used it to set up a conversation that you were going to have with somebody face to face. I'm just telling you right now, those times are behind us. Back in the early 2000s, when I was watching these hundred small groups do their thing, 
These were people who were practicing this process that's been around forever. They were people who were face-to-face trying to figure out relationships. And what I realized is sometimes they were violating the process, and that's why things were breaking. And as I started to realize that, I was able to start giving them kind of advice and how you would structure this and why you would do things a certain way. And based on that, they could get their group back on track. But part of, part of what we've got to do this morning is to even understand the process. So I want to do two things. I'm convinced right now that um, most people don't even understand the process of friendships. That it, It's a real process that takes place. It's not, I'm going to say this as clearly as I can, it's not a recipe A recipe is I do this, 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 and I get this outcome. No, this is a process. I do this, 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 and all kinds of possibilities are there. But if I don't do these things, the possibilities don't materialize. And unfortunately, that's what's happening right now. People don't understand that there was a process that our culture is quickly leaving behind The other problem is there is no patience for this process. This is not quick. It has never been quick. There's no speed. In fact, um, some of the biggest problems are people trying to skip part of the process to get to the good stuff of friendship. And by doing so, they undermine their whole ability to have the kind of friendship that they want. So... uh, This morning, what I want to do is I want to expose you to that, and I'm going to do that by showing you something in the Scriptures that I think is interesting. This this part of Scripture is just as God-breathed as anything else. For some reason, God decided to preserve it. But I have never in my life heard a, a message out of this section of Scripture that we're going to look at. I think I will die, and I will never have heard a message out of this section of Scripture. It's a, it's a closing farewell that Paul writes in Romans chapter 16. He gets, like, Romans is incredible. He has this great stuff that he lays out for people. And then he starts the final chapter by greeting, saying hi and goodbye to a whole bunch of people. And he gives them all different kinds of descriptors. And I want you to see some of this, because I think he understood some things that we need to understand Here's, here's just a taste. In verse 3 of Romans 16, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's them. In verse 5, in the middle of verse 5, he says, Greet my dear friend, Epitentus. He's a dear friend. The others are co-workers. But this one's even better. Verse 11, Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. That's like saying, hey, We're Americans, and that's what you would have in common. And he calls him out with that. Verse 12, greet Typhinia and Typhrosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. You Go read this. There are some that are repeated. There are several who are dear friends. There are others who are working. There are others that he just says, hey, you're brothers and sisters. Some he just says hi to. doesn't even really say anything about them. Here's what I think Paul knows that I think we all know at the core, but I'm not sure that we're okay with. 
Here's, here's two truths that I can pull right out of this. Friendship happens in layers. And two, not all layers are equal. And this is okay. Why weren't they all dear friend? Would those people have felt insulted that Paul wasn't referring to them as that? Or was it just the reality that he was entering different spaces with different people, had different interactions with them, and so he had developed a different kind of friendship with them? These kinds of friendships, these layers of friendships, end up becoming the process for how friendships develop. And I'm convinced they happen everywhere. They happen in the teams that you serve on, at the place where you work. It even happens this way in church. So I want to go through the research real fast that backs up what Paul's writing about as if he's always understood this his whole life. There's four different spaces that you and I will interact in. Uh, The first one is public space. It's where you find out common knowledge information about somebody else and you talk about it. This is stuff that nobody really feels the need to hide or protect. You can ask them what they do for a living. People don't mind talking about their job. You can ask them about their family. They, They probably love talking about their family. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about a sports team. Like You find out what sports team they like. And here's the thing. That's all you find out. But every time you see them, you bring that up and you check on that. Hey, how's that thing going for you? If you haven't figured this out, this layer is not very deep. And it's one of the reasons people hate it. They think it's a waste of time. Why would I spend time in this space? Well, because weird things happen when you know a great number of people. By the way, the research says if you want to be a healthy person, this depends on your personality quite a bit, but anywhere from three to 500 people will be in that space where you know a little bit about and you talk to them. Well, why would you do this? Well, I have a good example. I'm I'm in a small group with some guys, uh, actually it, it's some couples, and uh, Kyle is in our small group, and I have known since I've been at Waypoint that Kyle is a Miami Dolphins fan, which means that many years he's in a lot of pain, right? Um, but never at this time of year. At this time of year, he's walking around on Clyde, cloud nine filled with hope. He's always had hope. And then you just, you know, go a few weeks, and then it just tails off, and, and then he goes, you know, next year, I've got next year. So, so we were talking about that in the group, and Andrew was sitting there, and I said, so Andrew, what's your team? And he goes, the Miami Dolphins, and I was like, what is the matter with the world that there's two of you in this area? That doesn't make any sense. And this is what he said to me, that's how we became friends. Like, they do stuff with each other. They check up on each other. And you know how it started? Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins. It's ridiculous. But this is how this works. You pile a whole bunch of people in your public spaces and and you're friendly. And over the course of time, you then 
move, you shift with some of those people into a different space, which is what Kyle and Andrew had done. They had moved to social space. Social space is, is where you start hanging out and doing things with other people. There's a lot of ways to do that. Um, they were in a small group together. You could go serve together. There's all kinds of things that you can do. But here's what they had figured out. They had figured out in public space that they liked each other and that doing stuff with each other would be a lot of fun. So they started doing. They started doing stuff. In social space, this is where it gets dangerous because in social space, people share their opinion with you. And you find out that there are people that you like who don't think like you, and it's one of the best things that ever happens in your life. You're challenged to grow, expand, think, process. This is one of the things that happens in a Bible study. It's social space where you're getting to hear people think and talk out loud about the stuff they're reading in the scriptures, and it challenges you to grow. And this becomes really helpful. The research on this says, again, some of this is based on personality, that you'll have 60 to 100 people in your life who fill in that space if you're a healthy person. 60 to 100 people. And that space becomes really important because it's where you find the people to move to the next space, which is personal space. This is where I tell somebody something knowing that I can trust them with that. It's not going to make it on some gossip column somewhere. They're going to keep it to themselves. They're not going to think down on me. And I can share them something really personal about my life. By the way, there's a whole bunch of people who believe that this is the first real friendship that, it, that there is. Those others are not real friendships. Those are I don't know what those are, but that's a real friendship. And if you believe that way, you might not spend time in the other environments. But here's why you need to. Because the research says over the course of your whole lifetime, your whole lifetime, there will be 12 people total who fill that space for you. By the way, this is why one of the reasons as people age and they start to lose their key friendships, it becomes really, really hard for them because those key confidants cannot be replaced quickly. And before you know it, they're isolated and alone from people who would have been close and they would have been able to share stuff with and now those people are gone. And so it becomes difficult. It's a small collection. To think that you could join a small group and all of the people in that small group will actually be your personal space, that's too much pressure. It's too much. There might be one or two that you develop over time and you trust at just a different level, at just a different level. Now, that group of people is really important because out of that group of people, you will move a few of them, a few of them to the final space that exists in relationships. That's intimate space. 
This is the space where you're, you're emotionally naked, man. They see everything about you. They see you and they don't flinch. Like, they still like you. They, they might be upset at you at times, but they're always going to have your back. Now, here's what the research says on this. Over the course of your whole life, there will be two or three people at most who will ever fill this space for you, and two of them will be family members, which is rough because there are some people here whose families can't fill that space. Like, they're, they're not trustworthy. They've not been good to you. Like, you don't know what to do with that. But that, those people who could have been there to give you support aren't there to give you support. You don't feel that from them. And because of that, you end up with trouble. By the way, this can happen in a marriage, too. People get married and think that that automatically moves somebody into intimate space, not understanding that it requires a lot of effort, a lot of time of developing trust so you get to a place where that happens. And so I've, I've met people who are around a lot of people who are married, who feel desperately alone because they haven't done the work to build a relationship. By the way, there are some people who believe that intimate relationships is a real friend. That's what real friendship is. And when they don't have that, they scramble for it and they try to get it and they try to find a way to bring that into existence quickly. And there's nothing about this that's quick. There's nothing about this. It all takes time. It's a slow process. Now, um, I just gave you the thumbnail of this thing, but it's enough for you to get a context. Let me tell you the few problems that I see when you start to understand this is how this works. There's a process that you have to go through. Here's the problems um, that I see repeated over and over and over again. The first problem is that people look at this process and genuinely believe that the first two spaces are a waste of time, public space and social space. Those are not deep relationships. They're surface, people say. That's a, that's a waste. And so they avoid them. They stay out of those relationships. They don't spend any time there. But it's the whole fabric for where the whole progress of relationships is developed from. And so when you withdraw from that kind of stuff, you have a problem on your hands. You can't work the process anymore. You're not seeing enough people. You're not putting enough people in the mix for you to figure out who you like so that you can hang out with them. You're not seeing enough people with who you like to figure out who you can trust, which leads to the second problem. This happens a lot. People share personal stuff in the wrong environment and it freaks people out. Have you ever, have you ever gone to like a women's event where you were gonna do a craft? Like, you, you showed up to do a craft, and somebody emotionally dumps um, in, around that group because they don't know what else. Like, they're desperate. They're trying to find connection, and they've concluded that everybody in church 
must be trustworthy, so I should be able to do that. When in fact, you should know that everybody in church is just like you. We're messed up and broken. All of us. It's why you have to go through the process of figuring out who can I trust with this? And so they emote and they dump this on the table and there's usually one person who's like really compassionate. They want to help. They understand what's going on and so they reach out to help and the person who is so lonely grabs onto them and it's like, it's like a lifeguard. They tell a lifeguard, when you jump in the water, you've got to get behind the person and grab them and take control of the situation because if you don't, they'll grab onto you and they will drown the both of you together. And that's often what happens. So, so desperate to find somebody they can tell something personal to, but they haven't gone through the process to figure that out, that they start doing it in places. And it breaks the process. People don't know how to deal with it. They don't know about you. They don't understand what's happening and all kinds of issues come from this. There's a third one. I, I don't have a, a, a slide for it, but I'm convinced it's become a thing. I would tell you the third problem that I see happening when you look at this is that most of this stuff requires face-to-face -face interactions. It requires you sitting down and actually having a conversation where you see somebody react and respond to the words that you say. And right now, we are sending out stuff across Facebook, across Twitter, across all of these platforms that we use where we can just share our opinion, but we never look in the eye of another person that we've done that to, to see how that lands, to know if we need to adjust how we would say it or think or be. And we've lost the capacity to interact with each other in a way that causes us to grow and change. And these problems are happening because this process is real and we don't want to waste our time. So I told you I wanted to get really practical, so here's what I, wanted, here's what I want to give you. I want to give you four things that now that you understand the process just a little that you could do if you're experiencing some loneliness right now, or if you looked at that and you realized, in my public space, I have 10 people, okay? Um, that might, that's probably not enough. Here's what you could do. Find, join, participate in more public settings. Just, just find stuff that you enjoy doing and start showing up and find one person that you can just find some common knowledge about. Ask them about their job. Ask them about their family. Ask them about a trip that they took. And then the next time you see them, re-ask them about what you talked to them about. Start developing a friendship. Do that once a week. Over time, you'll start expanding the pot of people who are sitting in your public space. But it's going to require you to get out and move. But here's the thing. Don't require them to move to the next space immediately. Just let it brew. Just keep adding people, adding people, adding people into that public space. Allow it to get bigger so that you're developing a layer of friendships that actually it's really helpful for you. It's healthy. 
And over time, you can do number two. Start paying attention to who you like and why. Now listen, in some cases, you're going to discover something about yourself that's not great. Because if you want to know that person simply because they're popular, that says something about you that's maybe like something's gone wrong in your, in your soul. If that's what you're craving is the popularity or to be known in that way, something could be off. When I'm saying pay attention to who you like and why, I'm asking you to evaluate their character. What kind of character does this person have? Because you could start working on that character. You could start developing that in your life. Because it is true, birds of a feather flock together. And it works for good character as well. And if you start developing that, start paying attention to what the people that you like do. And start showing up at those things to do those things. So if you love volunteering and you found that you like the kind of people who volunteer, then volunteer more because you'll find more people who are like you that you'll probably have a higher percentage of liking. If you like the Miami Dolphins, then find more Miami Dolphin fans. Like, you're going to have a hard time doing it, but you can pry, right? But it could work. Like, pay attention to what those things are. And then start putting you in those places where you can have shared experiences, where you're doing stuff with people, where, where you're engaging somehow. And then don't rush it. Don't demand that it immediately has to become something personal for you. Let the space kind of unfold as it does. And pay attention to that person and how they interact with other people because you're trying to figure out, is there somebody here that I think deals with a lot of trust? Like, they're trustworthy. And if they are, then that could be somebody that you could do a trial trust balloon on. You could tell them something about yourself and see if they keep it in confidence. Like, don't unload the whole ship. Do a little bit. Develop this over time. Now here's the third thing that you could do. Put your stinking phone down. I mean, no joke. It, it is robbing so much from us right now, and I'm talking, I'm talking in so many different ways. There are married couples here that, I get it, I get it, you come home and you're tired from the evening. And what you want to do is you want to veg and chill. And so you veg and chill the whole night by sitting on your phone. They sit on their phone. And you end up together and alone. If you want to have a great relationship, you're going to have to find some time. Just start practicing. Turning it off for a little bit. I'm not getting rid of my phone, but it has to have boundaries. It has to. There have to be places where you go, where you see people, where you can set that thing aside for a short period of time. Even if it's just 20 minutes, just turn it off for 20 minutes and start practicing being present with somebody where you're just talking. And seriously, close friends, you can go longer. Married couples, you can go longer. Turn your phone off at a meal. Set it aside for a meal and just 
talk. These are the kind of things that have been going on for thousands of years that generate closeness in relationships. And we are sacrificing it for the sake of a social media pic that we want to see or more shopping that we want to do. And it's got to come to an end. There's got to be some boundaries. So find a way to shut off the phone. And here's the last thing that you could do. You could come back next week because now that we understand the process, there are certain beliefs, attitudes, and thoughts that we carry with ourselves into, like we've, we've developed them over time from experiences. We've had some bad experiences. We've had good experiences. They've shaped the way we think about friends. And as we go into these spaces, the process could work for you unless you're carrying some of that baggage. So I want to help you next week navigate some of this stuff and unload it. Start to get a healthier view of what's going on so that you can relate. Listen, this is, this is serious stuff. When we know it's here in our community, we know that many people are dealing with a sense of loneliness, we've got to start doing some different things. Yeah, it's funny. We all now have an individual phone line, and yet... I have gotten into conversations with people who were annoyed that I called. Why didn't you just text me that? Why are you wasting your time with me on the phone? That, this is how separated we've become. Just, just give me the digital part of you. Don't give me the part of you that's like human. And I'm telling you, it's not working and it's leaving people so broken that the levels of depression and suicide are still climbing and have not leveled off. We can do something about this. We can enter into a process with each other that generates a sense of belonging. If we're willing to take down our guard step out of our house and risk the fact that, yeah, it's dangerous, but this has to be done. So will you? Will you take a step in the next week just to add, just to add a few more people in your public space? Just, just broaden your circle and be a part of changing the direction that we're going. Let me pray with you. God, it's, um, it's not just the health consequences of losing 15 years of life with this chronic loneliness that's so bad. The truth is that we were made by you to be in relationship with other people. That, that's the best case scenario for us, is us with others. And right now, um, the way we're headed, we're missing your design, your way.
So I ask that you would help us to evaluate. Help us to evaluate how much digital communication am I going to tolerate in my life? Am I going to find a way to sit down and just look somebody in the eye and have some face-to-face conversations? Am I going to put myself in public space to be a public friend to somebody who needs that right now? God, I ask that you would give us the courage to not just listen to the expectations of the experiences of the fear, the anxiety we have about how this could turn out, but that we would listen to you. You made us for this. So give us the courage to step out to ask people common questions, and to start the process of developing friendships. We, we were built for this. God, may the church become who we were made to be, representing you in the world with a kind and friendly attitude towards each other. God, my heart's heavy with um, the people who I know are walking around with this weight of loneliness in their hearts, not really sure what to do. And I ask that you would just encourage them to just do a little. Just find a public space and start participating. Just start talking. Just start engaging somehow so that they can start changing the direction that this is going for them. I ask that you would encourage their heart. Give them the courage to step out and try something different. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.